And now, when did that come out? Part of the Real Change Movie Podcast. Thank you for hitting the download and welcome back to another episode of When Did That Come Out? The ongoing journey of two men covering one year of film and 12 movies that came out for every month of that year. I'm Charlie Stabile, joined as always by William Rankin. Today we are looking at March 1986, Highlander. Well, I think you saw this movie before I did. Do you have early memories of yeah. this? Yeah, yeah, this is one... Um this kind of falls in line with like Die Hard, Die Hard 2 actually, a couple of these other movies like I remember my dad renting them for himself but for whatever reason like I was still it was still okay for me to watch them. He let you watch them. My parents were always real loose about rated R. Like it was great. Like I I you it lucky was, bastard. And I, and that's why and honestly like I didn't think of anything I didn't think anything of it until I got older and I realized, you know, being around like some of my other friends where their parents were I was like, "Oh, so we can't watch the Matrix right now?" Right. Oh. Okay. See, but, mom, mom would let me watch just about anything that had hardcore violence, anything like that. But if there was there was a, a nudity of any kind, then that was completely out the window, which Highlander has. Oh, God. Highlander is like... <laughs> Highlander reminds me now when I watch it, it reminds me of what like Outlander and like those types of shows are. Because like, it's almost like those trashy romance novels. It's this close to being one of those. Mm-hmm. A trashy romance novel in the supermarket checkout line. Well, we can get into that a little bit later because this movie has an, what I feel is an identity crisis. There's a part of it that takes itself very seriously. Yeah. But then there is a cheese factor to the movie that kind of labels it among that 80s pantheon of movies. Yeah. But anyway, so my introduction to Highlander, uh, real quick, when Riff Tracks did it, I had never seen the movie. I had seen the TV series, so I went out and bought the movie in preparation for the Rift Tracks. And Son of a Gun, I ended up really liking the movie. I was very surprised. And I've been watching it for about the last eight or nine years now. So let's get into this. Uh, Christopher Lambert. It's a good place to start. He yeah, is he, because... The movie revolves around him. Yeah, it's what really made him... Without this, you don't get him as Raiden mm-hmm. later on. So absolutely, it's a, a good fortress. place to start. Okay, or Dude, mean guns with iced tea. I, we can list off all kinds of Christopher Lambert gems. But go ahead. Well, this is an interesting guy. So he, he's French, correct? So and he hardly spoke any English whatsoever yeah. before he got into this movie. Yeah. And it shows in the movie. You can tell he's struggling with some of the words, but his performance, I think, still comes through for the most part. You know, he's, I mean, he's supposed to be kind of a fish-out-of-water character because he doesn't know anything about this world that he apparently exists in. So, do you, I mean, do you like his performance? I think this? it's great. I mean, what's, because the movie literally moves throughout 300 years, when you see him early in Scotland, it's a totally different performance than 1985. And that's good. Because, it's a totally different movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure which one I like more. At times, I like the 1500s one because I sort of think about, like, when you watch, like, any of those... Any of those biographies or e-true Hollywood things or whatever. The most interesting part where everyone's interest peaks is how does somebody, like the moment before somebody gets big as a celebrity right. or something. That's part of everyone really likes. And then once they get big, eh, you kind of know the rest of the story from there and you your mm-hmm. interest is not quite as, as much. So I think his performance is, is really interesting because it is layered. Like he actually has a layered performance in this. I agree. And I, like I pointed out, I believe that he has 
uh, he has to act with his eyes or his face. Yeah. I, I love his eyes yeah. and they actually use it in the movie with that god awful. I call him Larry Dean Stanton, that cop that he deals with. I, I Garfield terrible. Like I don't know if it's, it's the, the character worst actor or the, the actor. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Oh, I mean, sucks. on paper, <laughs> I think it'd be. I, I think it'd be fine, but the actor is terrible. Not like terrible, but anyway, but likable. Sean Connery. Yeah, probably. This is a great performance from I'd, him. I'd say next. Well, obviously Bond is going to be that's Jersey and the Rafters. Well, then I like, put uh, Henry Jones Senior. Right. Yeah. But this, I'd th- say Untouchables is the other one. Well, you I mean, the Oscar I, for it. Somebody that, seemed to yeah, like it. I, right. But I mean, still, like that's because Costner is Costner in that movie. You know, you needed somebody like somebody who's going to have a real persona, and it's him. But yeah, this is right up there with all those you mentioned. But Highlander up there. Would you? Think of Sean Connery as an Egyptian by way of Spain. No, but I appreciate the fact he tried, he like, try. to, he tried to have like a Spanish. He tried to apply a Spanish type of accent. Did it work? No, but at the same time, like, because like Christopher Lambert, the the worry was, well, he doesn't sound Scottish. But it's like you don't need to. You've lived throughout all this time. Connery's been around. He says for like two thousand years. Right, and Lambert actually has the line, "McLeod in the movie, I'm from lots of different places." Yeah, because Garfield's like, "You sound funny." <laughs> Where are you from? That's right. Nash. Uh, let's talk about Clancy Brown. Yeah. Very underrated uh, character actor. Mainly known for Shawshank Redemption. And voice work. Like, right. His yeah. voice work is, is great like, stuff. Like Spongebob. The, right. No, but no, He's great in Spongebob. Yeah. But I mean, he's, he's an all-around great actor. But yeah. it's his performance that I think classifies this movie almost into 80s cheese. It goes a little bit far for me in certain parts. Uh, and and you can even attribute that, I think, to some of the direction, like, like the odd camera angles that they use on him. I, I honestly think his direction has boiled down to you're the Terminator with personality. Yeah. That's all. I mean, th- the way he walks down that hallway in the uh, Michael Kamen's like score is almost like beat for beat, like like the Terminator score. I forget close. who was doing term. Was it Brad Fidel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like beat for beat, like a lot of his music from when Schwarzenegger's walking around. This movie is essentially if Terminator f- Mad Max. That's what this would become. Because, like, everything from the camera... <laughs> oh, we can't help ourselves. I guess we'll have to censor that one later. <laughs> but That's but right. it seems like the love child of both of those movies. Because it just... From the music to the way Clancy Brown carries himself. To even the way that Christopher Lambert carries himself like he's Michael Bean. Yeah. Well, Terminator, I think, influenced the next five years of those science fiction films. Hell, they use... They use Brad Fidel's Terminator score in the RoboCop trailer. Yeah. It's not even remotely the same movie, no. but hey, it's got robots. And eventually they would battle in a video game, but still. Which yeah. I have. Great yeah. video game. Yeah. Um, Russell McCahey. So this was He's awesome. this, this came out during the era of let's just hire a music video director. And I it's mean, let's almost face never it. more evident. He's probably the greatest music video director. <laughs> if you look at his catalog, did you see it? No. We'll, we'll tell our audience. Pretty like, much like what, every, Duran, every Duran Duran, okay. like mega hit. Um, he worked with Elton did he work John, with Queen? Billy Joel. He did work with Queen. Okay. Like if you look at his, um, like he direct a lot of his filmography is concerts and stuff later on. Like after after this, like there's Queen. Um, the Wembley show? I'm not sure. I don't think he did the Wembley. I'm not, I don't think so. I think he directed more like, sort of like those greatest hits DVDs or something oh, like that. Okay. I think he had a lot to do with those, but he's got Elton John. He's got Billy Joel, like, especially like some of Billy Joel's like big 80s hits. Like he is doing the musical like video direction for. I mean, the, the thing is, like, it, I know Spike Jones is oftentimes like he gets like when you think of music video directors turned 
film directors. Like he's one that's a go-to, but Russell McKay, man, absolutely. Like, and look at his filmography, like kind of beyond this, like it's weird, but like he did another great one, Ricochet. Yes. Um, Big fan of Ricochet. And of, and after that, like a lot of stuff for TV, but still he directed like, remember, I completely forgot about this. Oh nine. It's that movie Sigourney Weaver. Um, Sigourney Weaver that uh, it got nominated for Emmys. It's called I'd have to look it up. I forgot off the top okay. of my head, but it was like pretty serious subject matter too. Yeah, but, I know he still works, and that's yeah. funny you bring up Ricochet. That's a very similar type of edited film yeah. as opposed to it's his Highlander. next movie after this too. It's like five years later he directed. Well, because he directs Highlander too. Yeah, which ugh, yeah, I mean you would never. I wouldn't know it was him. No, yeah, you know, that, that movie. That's a paycheck. Or that something. is a paycheck. Yeah. I think, and uh, it's it's great when the Queen music comes into the into play because he directs those very fast. Yeah, very quickly, like a music video. Yeah, which Queen's music, which is. Fantastic! I listened to it on the way over. Uh, they did a the, the album was called A Kind of Magic. Yeah, that's the only official Highlander soundtrack that really exists. It's an awesome album. It really is. From from what I've read, they didn't write the album beforehand. They saw the movie and then applied the songs. Well, that that's they, what that they saw. That's what's awesome is they they were contracted to do one song for the movie, but then when they like got deeper into what the film was, they were like inspired. They loved it. So each of them. <laughs> Each of them write a song based on a scene that they love. Like Brian May took Who Wants to Live Forever. Mm-hmm. Like that because he loved that scene. For whatever reason, they're not big. Like after the fact, they're not huge fans of Give Me the Prize because they don't like. I read that. Uh, that's my, probably my third favorite song. It's awesome. Yeah. It has the same uh, riff almost in the mid part as Princes of the Universe, yeah. which is the most known. But it should because they're yeah. compliments. It's like that's the Kurgan's theme. That's McLeod's theme. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. But It's a great soundtrack. And unfortunately, it overshadows, and I feel, the music of Michael Kamen, who's one of the best film composers. One of the best composers, sure. I think. And it, I almost forget that he worked on the movie as well. The nuances, though, like he... Because, he, let's also the be fair, nobody remembers him for Lethal Weapon. If they remember for Lethal Weapon, they remember Eric Clapton, because right. his name is Eric Clapton. They don't focus on Michael Kamen. When people talk about... Metallica's SNM album. They talk about Metallica and oh, they played with an orchestra. Who conducted it? Michael Kamen. It's did. weird that they don't. Michael Kamen doesn't have that recognition. Mm-mm. You know, between Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, like he composed some great. In all music. honesty, though, if John Williams or Ennio Morricone did the sound or did the score for Highlander, they would be overshadowed too by Queen. Their songs are that well, powerful. Qu- Queen's music in this movie, as much as I love it, it is it's it's fitting, but it's very over the top. Yeah, I find, but that's Queen. Yeah, you know, that's I think that's what it's supposed to be. So on that level, it's a great soundtrack. Yeah. So why do you like this film? I'm uh, assuming you like the film. Well, you want to talk, give a brief like you want just soup to nuts like what the plot summary kind of is. Sure. Of this, just yeah, we quick. can it's, do that. I mean, it, we know it's it's pretty simple. We have immortals on plan on planet Earth. We don't know why. We don't know why, and they're scattered throughout time. Like, right. Because and I'm not and and they're all going to meet at once. The the biggest problem and we're not going to get into the nuances now, but the mythos is not clearly explained ever. Right? Like, when does one really become immortal? Are they immortal from birth? Or from is my it, understanding, they're these are immortals from birth. But see, at the same time, why does Connery look so old? That's true. That's too. why I think I it's when like they die. Either. It's the first. I my feeling is it's the first time they die. That's when they stop aging. Okay. That's that's. Well, there's that's that guy I in the garage because I thought of him too. The guy, yeah, it's like sixty, and I'm like, why is which? He by the way, his backstory is phenomenal because like oh, really? he's actually got like a feud, like legit feud with McLeod, like going back 
years. Oh, man. Oh, that's cool. So it's kind of neat. Is this from a novelization yeah, of the film? Yeah, so, I mean, that's the tough part here. There are a lot of things we're going to talk about that may be answered in books that neither one of us have read, and that's fine. And we but, won't read them. No. No. Maybe not. But um, It's better it, to assume. Mortals on Earth, they're all, like, they're all battling basically throughout time to be the one, because as... It is said numerous times throughout the movie and on the poster, there can be only one, which every sequel defies right? <laughs> when they come out. But um, we're waiting for, quote-unquote, the gathering. The gathering is going to be this time when they all basically are going to get together and battle Mortal Kombat. Whoever's left. Right. right. Yeah. The, 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 Ramirez has this line that there will come a time when you will feel an irresistible pull Yeah. Yeah. to this certain location. And I always feel like that's got to be like when the, it gets down to a certain number. Like, Maybe. That's because the way this movie is, there's about five of them yeah. like in the present time. Yeah, because they talk about the guy that got his head chopped off in Jersey. Which I'm not... They filmed They filmed another one. But another it's on scene? the... There is another immortal who's like an Asian, of okay. Asian descent. I can't remember if it was Japanese or Chinese. But there is an Asian descent Highland or immortal mm-hmm. that Clancy Brown takes out. And apparently like, there's actually still footage of it. Like there's actually a photo like from that scene. Well, this has got to be the guy from Jersey. It, I think, but I'm not sure because if it is, it must've been early on in the, in the I film. I love that but, an immortal is hanging out in Jersey. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so that's the gathering. Now the goal is to win the prize, which is which, another one of these things that's not defined right. very well. From what I understand, the prize is different for every person. Like McLeod, I almost fully understand now what his, what the prize is for him, which is he can now bear children, he can have a family, he can grow old. He knows all of the... Th- Basically, he's Superman. Yeah. He knows the thoughts. And, and Professor Xavier, apparently. Like he yeah, can, he, he can yeah. understand everything and he can use everyone's thoughts and what's on their mind to better the world. Right. And he can die. That's the prize it, for him. And the problem is, like, that all just seems like... like I don't know. It needed to be just simpler. Like you just need to simplify what it is. Because, he can be human. Like that's because it. the Kurgans is like, well, well. Connery <laughs> says if he wins, if Clancy Brown's Kurgan wins the prize, the world will be plunged into darkness. Mm-hmm. That's it. And that's it. Even Connery, like what I was, what I was hoping for would be at the end, like basically he'd have this moment where it's your almost a Deus Ex Machina. Like I'm just going to come down and explain it. Mm-hmm. I will just appear and tell you what you've won. And there we go. It's explained for us. Well, even after Ramirez dies, he there's still he's still talking in McLeod's ear every now and then. It's like they just can't resist doing yeah. that, which I didn't know that was now, a power that they had. The last thing I say about the plot summary ties into the second movie. The second movie actually attempts to explain for a little bit what what the existence of these people on Earth. Because the whole thing in the second movie is there was a Ramirez and a McLeod on this other planet. <laughs> And this group of people led like a rebellion against uh, an evil general or whatever. It was Michael Ironside's Michael Ironside. character. <laughs> and so, but um, this is where they're, it's, no, it's, they're banished. It's punishment. Right. So the priests on the planet are like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to send Ramirez and McLeod back to Earth. Mm-hmm. And they're going to just be reborn. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be battling out. And see, they don't. They, the thing they don't explain is like, why are there other ones there? Right, because there are other obviously there are other immortals, but the whole thing is if either Ramirez or McLeod are the only one left, they can come back to the planet, or they can stay and be immortal on Earth. But that movie, that movie is they so attempt. Bad. That's well, the movie's so bad. Like, if Michael Ironside would have just let him die of old age, right, without sending back his goons, and and because what, what happens is McLeod ends up killing one of them, and he becomes immortal again. Right, Michael Ironside ends up screwing himself. Yeah, the, that's the thing. Like the movie, they, it didn't this, need to be explained. The sequels have little bits here and there where they they do a little bit of good, but then a whole lot of bad right. that undoes it. But anyway, all right. So that's asked, that. the question you asked, 
It's the favorite part of the movie, right? Is that what you were getting at? Which like part? Before we got to the plot summary. Oh, like, uh, no. It's just, why do you like it? Wait, what, what is this movie's appeal? It's Star Wars on Earth. Uh, okay. That's I it. had a similar feeling. That That's exact. I mean, it, there's no other movie I think that takes... I think what the majority of people is a favorite part of Star Wars, which is the Jedi, the a dark side, the light, the lightsaber. You found a way to bring it down to an Earth level and not make it super cheesy at the same time. Right. It rides, it rides a fine line at times where it, it sometimes dips into being like, oh, this is ridiculous. But I think for the most part, it's pretty well executed. That's my favorite part. Okay. Yeah, I like the idea of these ancient, well, I guess ancient, ancient warriors yeah. being in modern times. Like what would happen if William Wallace was around nowadays? Like, like how, would, how would they deal with that? Um, so that's, that's pretty much it. There's, there's the quickening. Also, which is after you decapitate your opponent, you you get their powers. Now, the thing that confuses me about this movie in particular is why does McCloud get a quickening almost right when he meets Ramirez? He doesn't kill anybody. I know. So that's it, it's it's bizarre. Like it's because it's almost like they are implying like, oh, because you're two immortals and you came into contact. And it's like, well. It didn't really happen when he ran into the Kurgan, and it doesn't happen at any other point of the movie. Right. And why does Kurgan know that McCloud is immortal? He he seeks him out. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's a plan. Battle. He's got a whole plan. He's like, all right, remember Murdoch before you can join the A team. <laughs> but still, it's like it's a whole it's a plan. Like mm-hmm. it's a whole orchestrated thing. Now, the one thing I will give it is I'm sure that if you're an immortal, just like with the Force, you can kind of figure out when another one is around. Maybe you can feel it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I'm sure it gets stronger as you get closer to him. Yeah, because there is a line that Ramirez has about this isn't the first time you felt whatever the hell he was talking about, and McLeod's yeah. like, no, no, it, it 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 isn't. So there's that. Uh, so there's there's this price to pay for immortality. Yeah, which is touched upon, and it's and it actually goes fairly deep, I think, with Ramirez explaining to McLeod why he can't have children, why he has to abandon this girl, and McLeod, of course, being a human. Just can't let that go. Right. And he lives basically a life of pain for 300 years. Which I mean, specifically life with Heather. Like the, yeah. And that, that is by far the most powerful part of that movie. Because let's let's take it back to when we're, we're younger. Like on a masculine level, it's like, oh, right. We got swords. We battle throughout time. And it sounds awesome. But that scene is really good at showing the other side of it. It's like, this is, this is awful. Because he chooses to defy what... Uh, Ramirez says it's like you should leave her leave her behind I'm telling you this is not going to end well not necessarily for you but you're not going to enjoy this time that you're going to be having with her why because you won't grow old she will and eventually when she dies you're going to be left kind of broken and that's exactly what happens Mm -hmm. and that's why what would have been interesting then is if we got a few more glimpses of what his life is like after that up until 1985 yeah well, I think that's where the TV show comes into play. Yeah, we're, yeah. Which that's or in the and like like thing. like the third Highlander movie shows like an, a bit like in the French Revolution, which not bad because at least like the stakes are pretty high. It's like, dude, any other time you would get like you know lit up, like whether you got shot or stabbed, like it'd be fine. But they put you under the guillotine, like it's over. Like that's true. That part is okay. But anyway, back like focusing on Highlander, like those. What's neat though is. You notice the other two scenes where we go back in time. There's a little bit more, a little bit more levity to it, mm-hmm. where it's not as like, like, geez, it's not as like, it's not as weighted as that whole, the, his whole his Heather dying, that whole sequence. Like, mm-hmm. 
when we see him on Boston Common. Yeah, it's great. Like him in the American Revolution. Yeah. It's awesome. I like that. And I, th- I think that's where the inspiration for the TV show came from. It's like, let's just put him in these, you know, historical con- context, you know, with American Revolution and stuff like that. Um, so why does it take so long for the gathering to finally come to fruition? It takes, I mean, to us, it takes 300 years following McLeod. Yeah. But Ramirez tells us he's been alive for about 2,400 years. Yeah. You know, I mean, this I, guy was around before Christ. But, yeah, that's true. Imagine if he was there just... <laughs> What's <laughs> this? What is this? Why are you I don't sh- understand. Why are you stabbing that Jew? No. Easy, fella. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we probably don't want to see William Wallace. <laughs> anyway, okay. Oh, no, no, no. Now, but um, I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think once there's only a certain amount of immortals left, that's when it is time like for a gather. I've seen other I in researching this, apparently like some of the other films and publications or TV shows try to make it sound like there's more than one gathering. Like it's something that happens every so uh. often to where there's a group of them that get together and it's whittled down to a smaller group. See Final Dimension actually, the third one, I remember them pointing out how many immortals there were. Now, see, that part is cool because... Oh, that movie, that's not a bad movie. Yeah. It, because one thing that's <clears throat> not touched upon as this time goes on is like, if if I go over and smoke that immortal, it's never defined in this movie if you get more powerful because you gained their, their in the quickening. Mm-hmm. Like, you see this thing happen. It looks like there's a transfer of power, but it's never really implied that there is. Like, because McLeod knocks off the guy at the AWA match, you know... Um, at Fos- Madison Fos- Square Garden. Foss... I forget his name, but uh, when he knocks him off, like he doesn't gain like his power. Like, it looks like he gains his power, but it's never like, oh, yeah, I can never, do this now. We never see McLeod doing backflips. Connery kind of implies that the Kurgan is the most powerful, and mm-hmm. you assume that's because he's knocked off probably the most dudes up to this point. But that's one thing right. that Endgame touches upon that's really smart. It's like the fourth film. Yeah, the fourth one is that because this guy's knocked off so many immortals, he's that much more powerful than you because you've only knocked off a smaller amount. Right. And that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like when in that third X-Men movie, they tried to create classes of mutants, mm-hmm. which was a, a different take on it. But still, like, I wish that was something that was better implied. As when, Well, if they had ever planned to make a sequel to this movie in the first place, they could have probably worked this out a lot better. Yeah, because, my God, <laughs> those movies are just... Well, the, the first thing that doesn't make sense is if Mario Van Peebles is still alive, who's the villain in the third one, mm-hmm. then he can't be the one at the end of the first one because there's still another one left. So he can't have the final quickening. Right. It doesn't make sense. And he can't feel... Are we implying that the that the Highland, like the, the Highlander force, the immortal force is stupid and can't see that there's another one still alive? Or are they just like, now nah, we're just chilling out watching Sunday Night Football. Like, <laughs> we, we have no knowledge of the guy who's buried in the cave. Right. Right. Stupid. Yeah, you, you do. Oh, you remember this movie a little bit better than I do. Yeah, yeah. The guys buried in the cave that are stuck there for like three hundred years. Yeah, and this is the third. So movie. he misses so, the quick. He misses the gathering. It's hard, it's, it is hard to talk about this first movie without those other movies. And yeah. this is what uh, I think people mean when they say, "Oh, they don't make a sequel; it'll ruin the original." They, it doesn't. I don't believe it ruins the original, but it definitely ruins the way that you look at them. Yeah. Kind of like Ma- the Matrix sequels. Oh yeah. You can't look at that first one the same after. I seeing think this those gets into movies. an interesting thing though. We're like, I think. I've always thought this. You ultimately, as the audience member, have the right to choose. You have the sure. you have the right to choose whether like those other movies really exist to you, like because if Do I they exist to you, no, me neither. Because at the end of the movie, he is the one. Like he is the only one left, and they've given him the quickening. Like unless like somebody like created a false quickening. 
Ha-ha! You know, it, it's just like, I get the point of the TV show, but I never was that interested in it because I'm like, in the end, every single episode will probably end, at least the majority of them, with Duncan McCloud knocking off somebody's head and having a quickening. It's like, the murder she wrote of action shows. Yeah. It ends the exact same way every single time. I think it would make a hell of a miniseries. Yes. I would, or a trilogy, I, or, a trilogy or something of films, like that, which was like, actually proposed a couple of weeks ago. I read. Oh yeah. yeah oh yeah. Um, like doing another, like a whole reboot, like of a it? true trilogy, because the rights to these movies, I can't remember who owns them, but they've owned them since two thousand six. Well, let's see, because what's crazy is like this is distributed by Fox, but Fox didn't make it. EMI Films made it. Canon. Their logo came up before the movie started. I had, I did not know Canon did this movie. Who, I, it, and so it's possible. It's possible at some point they acquired him from because emi was the production company i think they have it so I they think it's emi so and that's another one of those companies that i looked up their stuff like they have a couple hit and hit hits every now and then but highlander is clearly like the most well-known sure sure but, so they've been sitting on this remake for about 10 or 11 years and they haven't just haven't done anything with it yet and yeah. i remember a few years ago when talks first came up they were looking at ryan reynolds Oh, to be to, a new Connor? Yeah, to be Connor McCloud, which, you know, that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, I, I dare to ever look at it. I've ever looked up, like, like when they say, like, oh, this person was considered for Connor Basically, every male actor ever at that Butler point. Every, came across Well, it. in 1986, like, every male actor alive was considered for Connor McCloud, which doesn't mean anything for me, because it's like, Charlie, guess what? You're being considered for the third Guardians movie. Right. Yeah, I'm sure we're all really technically considered. I consider myself an actor. What am I doing on Sundays? I'm making doing a podcast. Right. <laughs> it's the same. No, you're right though. It could, I read a couple of weeks ago that uh, Frank Sinatra was considered for Die Hard simply because he was in the first movie that you know was based on that book. Gotcha. I, yeah, so it's just no. It's, it <laughs> wouldn't have even been Die Hard. So uh, let's talk about the um, the the post. How this movie did. Not too well. Not too well in the no. theater. It made about five million on a domestic on a domestic grosses, twelve international, and the budget was nineteen million dollars. And this was a movie whose screenplay was written in a UCLA film class yeah. as a project, and th- and it was sold for two hundred thousand dollars, which yeah. is an amazing success story. Amazing, yes. Yeah, and and I've watched a documentary where this the I, f- I forget the screenwriter's name, but he basically said that the movie the finished movie is about eighty percent. His script. So he's, for the most part, very pleased with it. There's just a a few minor tweaks to it, like mainly, I think, involving the Kurgan character. Okay. But this movie was a monster when it came out on home video. Yeah. Like a lot of movies were in the 80s that uh, didn't find success in the theater. It had cool box art. Like, you know, if, if you have cool box art in a video store, chances are people might pick it up for a look. Word of mouth got around. This movie turns out to be a big hit. Yeah. And... Of course, the sequels followed, and they shot themselves in the foot <laughs> pretty hard. I, I think, though, we're like, this is why I was, thought it was interesting that Fox, like, although, like, they're the big studio attached to it, they didn't make this movie. So I guarantee you, like, this got released in March. Mm-hmm. They're only got dis- distribution. I don't think their marketing was a fully 100% behind this. How do you market this movie, especially in the 80s? Exactly. Like, these types it's, of movies weren't over the Because the genre is not, it's not... It might be easy to say, "Oh, it's clearly defined." Well, not necessarily not to like some, this. not to a general audience member, like you know, to you and me and and people who like movies. Like, oh yeah, I mean, it's a B movie at the end of the day, but but look, it's so well made. This I I was looking at our conversation. We talked about like every movie that came out that month right. that just murdered it. A Room with a View, Gung Ho, Police Academy Three, The Money Pit, Care Bears Two. How much did Police Academy Three make? Forty two. <laughs> 
Which is like by today's uh, that's numbers, like that's almost a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> like like the reverses. I just saw Logan was made for a hundred million dollars, which is low. That is really low for a superhero but, movie. So you take that back into the eighties, like that would have been made for what? Like that's way less than fifty, or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, like April Fool's Day, Lucas, Just Between Friends, like all of these movies outgrossed Highlander, and yet Highlander seems to be the best remembered. Yeah. Yeah, and the, yeah. One, the one with the true legacy. Now, April Fool's Day, I remember that. That's one of those knockoff Friday the 13th Exactly. Movies. Yeah. But this goes to the point we were talking about. Like, the reason a movie like this feels like it could fall between the cracks is that, A, we've talked about marketing, but B, these movies did not, this was not the time of success for this type of film. Right. A I com- think it was before its time. Comedies and horror pictures seemed like the easiest sells in the world. Mm-hmm. For whatever, because one of these is a period piece comedy, like with um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of Maggie, Dame Maggie Smith. Yep. And it's like you're telling me like a movie that you can market a movie around Maggie Smith and droves of people are gonna come see it, but this movie that seems pretty all right, it's gonna be sword fighting. It's got James Bond. Yeah. You can't for this. It's going to make less than 15 minutes its opening weekend or, or less overall in its run, I mean. I think if they were to release this movie today or a remake of it, I think it would do big business. Because these types of stories, yes. they're, they're much more accepted today. But there's no way it would be nearly this good. No, no way. Because no. I, this movie has a real natural feel to it. Yeah. That uh, you you cannot contrive this. I The direction there's alone. There's something very special about yeah. this movie. I... I, I I just don't think, even with the way music videos have, like, obviously people have been more influenced by this. Nope. Don't think it could be nearly as good. Just like when they, every year when they say, we're going to remake Escape from New York, it won't be good. I don't care if The Rock's in Big Trouble in Little China. Nope. It's not going to be as good. It may have more budget. It may have more pizzazz and all this, but it won't, it just won't work. It won't be as, and I'm not speaking like old crotchety, like 30-year-old here. I don't know. I don't believe that at all. There is something very unique and special about this movie. Yeah. That uh, I mean, look, look how many sequels. The TV show doesn't even come close no. to this movie. No, this because that's how good this first movie was. Yeah. Uh, if you had to rate this movie, what would you rate Highlander? This one, I, I the other movies, I've, I think we've been around like seven, seven ish. Yep. I, I can't like it'd be outlandish to give it a ten because I like, agree because that's that's we talked about like there any other movie. It's got major problems, but for Highlander, because it does other things so well, you can forgive sort of the... the, the Absolutely. The, where it comes up short in terms of what's the prize. I would probably give it... I, I'm going to go with an 8. I'm going to give okay. it an 8 just to be um, to be a little bit... I'm going to pull myself back a little bit. Go ahead. I, it's tough for me. I, I've i always given this movie a 7. Yeah. Always. But yet I always come back to this movie. And I always watch it. I always see something new that I that I like. And the, and I appreciate the filmmaking aspect of it. Like one thing we didn't talk about that I love. I love how he does the transitions. Yeah. These transitions are so good. Like there's one or two that are kind of uh, phoned in. But like from the fish tank to the rising up and it's them like in a boat yeah. in 300 years ago. Yeah. I eat that kind of shit up. Like this, I think they do a slot. They do a... A slide transition where it goes, like it does the same thing. Or the parking awesome. garage goes up and it's the battlefield. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. seamless. Yeah. And, and for the age that this movie came out in, which is pre-computers, pre-digital effects, this is very admirable. And there is a quality to that that is intangible. You know, it's like, how did they do that? Now, granted, watching this movie on Blu-ray, I was able to see a lot of wires, but I love that. I, I love being able to see wires because I mean it's all caught on film. It's all caught in the camera, 
And the, there's a real effort, basically, yeah. that was put forth to make this movie. Yeah. And it's, I think it stood up. I think it stood the test of time. It is not one of my favorite movies. It is one of my favorite 80s movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but just based on the fact that I constantly go back to this and rewatch it and analyze it, I give it an 8. Cool. I do. It's this a is a solid flick. Yeah. And it's a shame that it didn't do even better in the theater because maybe they would have thought out the sequel just a little bit more. But honestly, yeah. if anyone listening to this goes to ch- check out Highlander 2, it is far more interesting to look behind the scenes of Highlander 2. And basically yeah, how they, a, how they claim... I've heard that's a good It's good very doc. strange. Yeah, there's a doc on YouTube about it, how basically they were held up for ransom. Because yeah. uh, I, I don't remember where they filmed it, but they took advantage of the filmmakers and yeah. somehow got like screenwriting control for some reason so yeah. I think they're just trying to pass off the blame of that that planet subplot yeah. but anyway as much as we don't care for those sequels yeah, they're, they're Final Dimension's okay yeah it's not bad it, it, even though to me it's basically a remake of the first movie right but anyway so that's Highlander yeah that's yeah, Highlander uh well What's next month? What's next month? Next month is April, where we will be looking at the film Critters. This will be interesting. We've never seen well, this movie. I'm. We talked about how horror had a had its heyday during this time. This so we made money. Oh yeah. Yeah. When you told me that, I was just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> made a dump load of money. Yeah. 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 In the meantime, I am at cm underscore stabs. I am at William Rankin eighty three. And we will see you next time for the April film of nineteen eighty six Critters.